Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stewie Knutson with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 168. And this is, uh, I had a, I apologize for missing a week last week, but I was uh, driving home from the APLA Triple Crown thing that uh, two other judges and myself judged, and just getting caught up and getting dogs ready because this past weekend was another APLA test in which I had to run dogs. So I couldn't sit down and do a thoughtful, you know, well well produced uh, podcast so that's why last week uh, I didn't have it and this one is a little bit late but we'll get right to it I've had a lot of questions and then a lot of things coming from the actual triple crown event itself uh, and then I have uh, today I'm also gonna do some listener questions I've gotten uh, not as many lately I think it's the summer and the heat and <laughs> all this stuff so I'm gonna uh, just do a few of those for a for a client family here in Colorado but the G update um, so I always do that so she had to sit a little bit uh, while I was gone judging and then she didn't run the event even though I could have run her in the certified we could have probably done that fairly well uh, just I'm not doing that since you don't have to anymore to get them uh, ready to go do the higher levels so we're just uh, sitting tight and working on things She's very much in the swim by, and because I can't just do it every day, which is certainly the way to do that, make good progress as to every day and just take a, a little bit more uh, step out of what you're trying to teach. So that's been a little choppy, but she's stopping on a whistle well and stopping, and I make her turn around in the water and look at me sometimes for three or four seconds and sometimes for more. So it's very important that this is the place where she learned when I blow the whistle in the water, you stop and you wait for me to cast, regardless of what that time is. So people that have a little trouble on water blinds sometimes later on with the dog auto-casting or you got to hurry while they're looking or whatever, this is the place where you set the precedent. precedent. When I blow the whistle, this is where you stop. So, you know, I hope everybody, if you're getting ready to do that, remember that. And sometimes make it a little excessive so that they learn. They, they may be treading water and coming in toward you a little bit, and that's okay. You can't, don't, you know, don't make that a problem because it's really hard for a dog to be stationary in the water. So if they're make, coming in towards you a little bit, that's all right. They just have to be facing you, looking at you, and waiting to see which cast you give. So I'm working on that. That's going pretty well. But once I did one over, and, you know, there's a whole the way you do that but I threw an over well now every time she jumps in she wants to go over and that often happens with dogs that are always trying to uh, anticipate whatever's happening and so there's two ways to get past that a lot of pressure on them so they're just too afraid to, uh, to do something not not my style exactly I just like to do I'll do more days and more repetition till she learns I don't know what she's going to do I'll just stop and turn around and wait and stop uh, anticipating so that's going well and that's where we are with her. I ran her on a couple cold blinds uh, last week. And uh, one of them she lined. And it's one of those, that does not mean I have the world's greatest blind running dog here. It just means that she knew I better go. And I got lucky and she also just went straight and lined the blind. And that, so that was awesome. Um, the other's not as good. But so she's beginning to get the idea. And, you know, just because they, she lined that one doesn't mean, okay, she needs to do that on the rest. You know, everything just fell in place on that one. So that's where we are uh, with the G thing. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the Triple Crown. 
because that's part of the topic that I want to do today too. Um, but you know what I'll do? I'll get to the question. That's what I'll do on this thing. Uh, I'm going to get to some uh, a long-term family of mine. It, it, so the question was worded. One of the things I could certainly use a talk through is on the ins and outs of inducing introducing choke chain work. Um, choke chain work. So basic obedience on a puppy. Now I will say, sorry to apologize for the self promotion, but I do have a video on that <laughs> that you can you can uh, get onto teachable.com and and look at that. Um, if you just go on to Teachable, anyone that's interested, and type in uh, Bates Works, that's the name of my stuff there. Um, there's a video on how to do that. So what you want to do is the puppy needs to be old enough so that their little neck is not a little puppy neck, where a choke chain, you know, could be a little bit, it has to have the, uh, uh, you know, a four or five month old puppy, you're probably okay. Um, certainly a five month old puppy. It's not used to choke them. It, what it is is it, it's, and I like it a lot better than the, um, the, uh, the nylon ones because it's got the metal chains, so it's very, very, it can constrict in any way that it needs to. And the purpose of the choke chain is to have an impulse form of pressure. It's just an impulse. It's not a lug and drag or any of that. It's a very quick constriction on the neck that doesn't have the pokes of a of a prong collar because the the concept of a prong collar is those things poke into your neck and it hurts and so to avoid the hurt you you comply with whatever you've been taught the choke chain is a little bit different it has this one you know second of of constriction not choking not cutting off their air supply constriction with enough of um, a pressure on it that the dog doesn't want to have that again and so they work to to prevent any of your enforcement of what you're asking. So you need to have that clear in your mind. It's not like I got to use a choke chain here. How do I do it? It serves a purpose. So and eventually, if you become an electric collar user, the electric collar nick will replace that that impulse of pressure because the electric collar is just going to be a very instantaneous nick. So we want the choke chain to be a fairly it can't be as instantaneous as a collar, but close. You want to have that in your mind. So what we're going, before you put the choke chain on, you need to teach your dog probably what sit means, you know, by pulling up on their collar on their neck, pushing their bottom down so that they do know what sit means. That would be the first thing in this piling on of teaching. Teach them what sit is and teach them that heel means walk at my side. Not all perfect, right? But you, the dog has to have those concepts. Boy, whenever he says sit, I, I need to drop my bottom just because that's what I always do. So it would be out of practice and consistency and just doing it that they learn that. You don't tell them to sit and then watch how long till they do or wait for them to. You tell them to sit. And then in their little minds, you push that down. So that's very important. Get in his little head. The little dog heard the word sit and then their bottom went down. And every time they hear that word sit, I'm talking about it, this is all important for the choke chain. Every time they hear sit, their bottom goes down 100% of the time. It can't be, sometimes I'm right on top of it and other times I get a little distracted and I don't do that because that's going to make your choke chain work just be inflicting discomfort on them. And we don't want it to be that. 
So you teach them that sit or heal or hear is when they hear it, they do it. And when they're puppies, that's not very hard to do. And so you just can use, your, you know, you're, you've got a leash and you're, they got a little collar on them and you make them sit down or when you tell them heal, they're walking over at your side. Not all perfect, but walking there. And if you call them here or whatever you say, then they are coming to you and then give them a conclusion, sit down. So not all at once, but you teach that to them. The most important aspect is you always say the same thing. You don't have a bunch of other words in there with it, so they don't know which one's the operative one. And that you're very consistent on that they do it very short period of time. That's what's important. Just because they eventually sit, it's not like, hey, it's a win. No, it's not. Because they just, who knows what all the thought processes were going on in their head before they actually executed what you asked. So you just literally have them do what it is you want to do. Now we're going to, instead of you pushing their little bottom down or whatever, now we're going to bring in this impulse piece of enforcement pressure, training pressure around their neck. It's going to bug them at first. I, I have to have done this, I don't know how many thousand times. They're going to like it because it feels wrong. If all you've ever had is a little flat collar or nothing around your neck, that you were kind of lugged around by, then this thing is very different, very different. And for some dogs, depending on their how timid they are or whatever, it's kind of uh, uh, alarming, all different degrees. So know that going in. They, who knows what they're going to do. On that video I have, and I'm not trying to sell something, I'm just saying that it, it really shows I have one little dog that kind of just flips out, starts flinging himself in the air and down on the ground, and I just make sure he doesn't hurt himself and let him react to it and then have him <laughs> come back along with me. You know, just, just use patience, the most powerful training tool of all. Just use the patience until finally they just sort of go, well, I guess it seems okay. So they're going to have a little trouble with the choke chain. Put it on so that it comes whatever side your dog is on. The choke chain comes through the ring over the far side of the dog toward you, not underneath their neck toward you. Um, because if it's underneath their neck and you constrict it, it remains constricted. If it comes over there, over the other side of them toward you, over their neck and shoulders to you, then when you let it go, it relaxes and stops constriction. So make sure you have that. Just do it on your own, on your leg. See which way works good <laughs> and which doesn't if it's not clear. So first, just you've got to get them acquainted to, and it's got to be, right, it has to be not the one they're going to have at the end of the year, not a great big one, and not a little tiny one that's like a, a fishing line that'll really kind of choke them. You want one that's appropriately sized. Bigger rings are a little bit better. Bigger lengths of a chain are better than the little tiny ones because it distributes the stress a little bit more, the pressure over the dog's neck. You don't want a teeny tiny little thing. And you, you want them first to kind of walk with you and get used to this odd thing that when they pull away, it, it kind of constricts on their neck. If it's too big, they'll be able to shuck their head out of it. And they learn that in uh, five seconds. So make sure they've already walked with you with a flat collar and then put that thing on there. And then make sure that you don't let it hang down, dragging on the ground or anything because then they can, they learn some of them how to just get that off their heads real quickly. So now you got two battles, obedience and you got to stay on the leash. So. Get them used to just walking along with you with that choke chain. And if it constricts a little, their response needs to be to move to stop the constriction. 
That's what we want. So if you're walking with them and they're pulling way away, if you just do a little jerk, first say the word heel. Always explain what the training enforcement is for before you give the enforcement. A little heel and you and you just a little jerk, size appropriate, and so that they quit pulling on it. That's why I always have don't those expando leashes where the dog pulls where they want to go. And then you come on and go, don't pull anymore. Very unfair to a dog. So I don't like those leashes for any dog ever, anywhere, anytime almost. Unless there's a compelling reason that the person handling the dog can't do any of the leash work. But just teach the little dog with some little jerks. Have it where it can't come off their head. Uh, and then understand where they're coming from on this. Understand, it's like, what is this thing on my neck? Oh, I might die. Oh, I'm gagging and, you know. So just jerk them a little so that it's always loose. And then when they work to try to do stuff with you, tell them good dog. Not crazy wild good dog, but just, yeah, that's it. That's just what I want, buddy. Good dog. And then walk along. When they can, they're kind of okay with the leash. Now we're going to use the choke chain just like you did before with your flat collar. You're going to walk along and say sit and do a little jerk up, straight up, because when the head goes up, it tends to make the bottom go down. Jerk up, push that bottom down so that they learn about that constriction on their neck. And it's a very quick one, all right? Not, a, not like a flash, right? But it's a jerk and they sit. And you, what we want to do is teach them that when I say sit and you work hard to do it and you sit down, there's no jerk. But if I say sit, I'm immediately going to have that one impulse up on your neck right there so that you sit down. So the key part, and the same thing with here, it's the exact same thing with here. You have them sitting in front of you, so you need to have a decent sit, and you tell them here, and you just give a little jerk. Do it with your flat collar first so there's no constriction. Once they're used to this little thing, constriction thing on their neck, now you can do here, a little jerk, here, bring them to you, sit down, tell them good dog. One of the biggest things you want to do when they're learning choke chain stuff is to make sure that they understand and are comfortable with what's happening first with this thing on their neck before you just dig in and start enforcing all kinds of things. Again, understand where that little dog is in their head. But it's, so you want to be, the when you're doing this, especially introducing a new form of enforcement, you need to be completely, totally in this so that you are uh, seeing what that dog is telling you in their responses to this and there isn't like a way they're supposed to be it's just how they are and you have to see how that is so if they're panicky over a choke chain then spend the several days just getting them let them drag it around when you go on a walk a little choke chain nothing where they could ever hurt themselves or catch on something and a little cord dragging behind it until they go they, they're it's annoying maybe in the beginning but till they get used to that and once they understand it all right they should already know your reasonably gentle pushing down or pulling towards on the heel and here and set. Now we can go in there instead of with just the, the you know, like reeling them in on a fishing pole. We're going to use a little bit of a jerk now so that they work to avoid the jerk. If whatever impulse force you're using, whether it's pulling up on sit or towards you on heel or here, it has to be, once they're used to it and understand, it has to be at a level that is meaningful for that dog. And that's all over the map. Some is a very light little, just a bleep, and, and they're coming. And others, it takes something a little bit more 
uh, forceful and some you gotta speak to them you know it's like listen i know you're big and strong but you still have to do this and it's whatever level of enforcement that dog tells you all right i will pay attention to you so that's that's the thing that's a lot of stuff on the uh, choke chain now the other question along with this was let's see let me get down here um how do you get good at heel on leash but how do you transition to heel off leash all right skip that as a goal <laughs> that's, that's the first thing i would say don't make that a goal I don't ever make that a goal because it's not a goal. It is a natural part of the process and you don't get there till you get there. So again, let's go back on the off leash stuff, which is oftentimes what everybody wants. When you see the, the, the trained dogs, you know, and they are, they're the same on leash, off leash, all that stuff. It isn't because of any transition work someone did, at least as far as in my world. What it is, is a result of you having taught that dog when I say something, when you hear it, then you do it. You don't weigh in, make a choice, decide how you feel about it. And this is not tough guy stuff, man. It's, it's getting into the dog's head stuff. If you don't know about dog's heads, and you, then you got to use the tough guy stuff. You got to just, just thump them into it. But if you are watching, if you get into that dog's head while you're doing this stuff, and you have taught them every time I say sit, you sit. And every time I say here, you come here. That's a result of one, you being as consistent as humanly possible. Whenever giving a command, you cannot enforce ever. If you're not up in a position to enforce it, then go get them or just don't say it. Just th so that they never learn that you say something. And sometimes you have to do it and sometimes you don't. That's normally what people do. Or the third time, counts the most. So you just count till then and then and you have to do it. They hear it and then they do it. And so when they're little puppies, that limits how much of that you can do. And when you get a leash, now you have connection to them. So you can make sure if you say sit, that they sit. Or hear, that they come to you. That's very important. Now, the next, just because you can do that is not enough. So now we have to go over to that enforcement. And again, I prefer the choke chain to all things. And I don't use prong collars. Maybe when I'm old lady, which isn't that far away, right? I might do that because that's the only way I'll have enough power to convince this dog you really need to listen. But as yet, I have never found that. What it is is timing and enforcement and thinking about what's in their head. So, so. If, you know, you've, you've taught the dog and you now we're doing the leash, the choke chain, and now it just took several days and they're acquainted with the choke chain. Now, while you're working with this dog for just a short period of time, because that's all that their brain can stay totally engaged in this, and we only want totally engaged. We don't want partially engaged. Be like you study a math and kind of listening, but not always. You're not going to do real well. But if we can get you to pay attention for at least 10 minutes, we're going to teach you something. So when we do these dogs, and again, for me, it's minutes, not 10 and 15 and 20, and not in the morning and again in the evening. I want to get as much as I can in that little dog head and stop just before it starts to fade. And what you want to do, you got them familiar with the choke chain now. Watch this dog because you're going to be walking along. Are they paying attention to you or not while you're walking along? If they're not, you're going to have to use sit or a jerk on the chain to reel the dog's attention into your work. 
you have to have that first before you start working on what I'm going to talk about. So they got to be engaged and connected with you going, okay, I got to listen and pay attention to what he's saying. Now when you do it, and, and do different things. Don't always do it the same place. You got the same exact stuff so that it becomes boring. But walk along when you say heel and take off. Is there a difference if you take off with your right foot or your left foot? Shouldn't be. Because you said heel and you moved. That should be enough. If it is, check what you're doing. Right? Make sure that you're enforcing heel regardless. Or maybe you always step off with one leg or the other. Try to vary that. All right. When you step off and you speed up, do they notice that you sped up or not? You need to notice that. So that means you still don't have all of them. So here's places where we're going to use the choke chain uh, to enforce things, to require that their mind stay on responding and what you're doing, if that makes sense. So you, you know, you're walking along and they're trying real hard, right? And, and you said sit and they saw um, a dove just fly right over there and they didn't quite sit. All right, we're going to say sit again and give that sit enforcement with the choke chain at a level that is very meaningful to them. And they're like, whoo, golly, I, whoo. So what you do is you reel their mind from scattering in different directions to remaining on you. That's the thing most people miss. They go through the motions and have them sit and have them do stuff. But what they don't notice is the mind is, well, they're not there in and kind of intermittent. And people don't even notice that. And it, you bring it back to you when you enforce stuff with the choke chain and the leash. Eventually, that's what people, when they transition to the collar, if you're really good with the leash, then you can really be good with the collar. But that's not the point. The point is getting that dog to be able to stay on your work and responding to you. When you have that, it isn't so much whether they're on the leash or not. It's the synapse paths, the neural paths you created by consistently doing this work all the time. When you create neural paths that I hear, I do, I hear, I do, not by thumping the heck out of them, but by you being on top of the game, knowing what they're thinking and keeping them in that responsive mode. When you can get that, then the on-leash, off-leash thing is not, is not that big of a deal as it is how you, the neural paths that you built. And most people have very kind of loose and sloppy stuff. So then they go to the electric collar because now I can just slam it down your throat because I didn't ever teach you what my standard was from the very beginning. If you do that, you won't be looking forward to trying to get off leash because it doesn't matter. And, because, and we don't look forward to using the electric collar to reel this dog in because it's your job to reel them in mentally before you even get there. Okay, so <laughs> I hope that made sense. Um, but that's what I see people do all the time. And probably one of the differences between people who, like me that do it all the time and have to do it well is that you know you got to get in that dog's head and have them believe that what you say they do, not out of fear, but out of consistency, lectured on that a ton lately, you get that, then you just drop the leash and keep going and they're going to do stuff with you because it isn't the leash. It's the little neural paths you created. Oh, I heard I got to do it. And it's not out of fear or being thumped. It's out of consistency, a lot of repetition, doing it and making sure that they're very clear on what you're asking, not complicating it, not a lot of talk, not a lot of noise, not a lot of weird movement, but extreme clarity like you want in their head. Okay, That's a lot of stuff I'm talking about. 
might be boring to some people, but that's the level. If you want to be good at this and don't want to thump your dog a lot and be unfair, that's sort of the way to do it. So I hope that <laughs> I hope that was clear. It's not always. Okay, last topic. Don't want this to keep going on and on. When I get on that little dog stuff, I could stay there forever. But I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit about the Triple Crown. That is, for those of you that aren't involved in the American Pointing Lab Association, just dog people, still relevant. Um, because that's basically the national now for the American Pointing Lab Association. They've always had just events and stuff and titles. And now uh, and they've hooked in with the uh, uh, HRC kind of integrated their stuff together and now they have what they, it's called the triple crown and that's basically the national you have to qualify to go and and then uh, everybody's it's not it's not competitive it's still pass fail just like the master national and the, the grand and all that stuff and it's uh, comprised of three days uh, each day has upland which is a, a lot to ask of a dog one day you have landmarks I'm blind landmarks all all land stuff you have a uh, water land mixed and then you have water stuff uh, on uh, one of all those three days has that and it, doing the upland three days in a row uh, is that's asking a lot a lot of times when people because people don't train upland three days in a row generally so dogs get pretty wild and excited so this was the first one and I was privileged and and uh, lucky enough to be one of the judges also because I'm old and you know, I've <laughs> been around a lot, but anyway, so I got to see this, and I, the first comment I want to make, and this isn't a commentary on the, on the Triple Crown, I'm, I'm going to talk about a, a learning thing on this, but it, it, I saw the best dogs I in a single field I've ever seen, it was, now they're all four-time Grandmasters, and recent, at least recently passing some as well, so they were very good dogs, and, uh, it was, uh, fun I, I just said this is fun to judge because the dogs are all capable and in the upland field they all go do good stuff and so it was it was fun to watch and uh, some of the more experienced handlers that were there made the same comment I was like these are the best dogs I ever saw all together and it was really uh, it was great to see how how good the dogs have become and they were from all over the place and how good the training has become and how much better most of the handlers have become um, it's hard to be good at this it takes some time so i'll say that you don't just come out of the box just you know firing on all cylinders it, there's a lot to running all of that stuff with and so it was it was great to watch the things that i saw that where any problems were in that whole thing was all um, based on i would say handler experience that's what what I saw for the most part any dog there was 14 that came a lot of people were not sure they didn't weren't sure about the judges or whatever but so I, everybody was kind of waiting to see how this would turn out so 14 of them were there 10 of them passed and uh, they they legitimately passed and the people that did not pass was all in my opinion I'm not speaking for anybody here was handler related as opposed to dog related and so and then uh, there was one person I think that was quite unhappy and felt that we had singled him out and had a vendetta against something 
And so that's kind of what I want to talk about on this last deal is the responsibility of us as handlers, all of us, okay? All of us. If you've done any competitive thing for a long time, particularly with regard to animals, you aren't always going to have the judges feel the same way about your work that you do. Part of the deal. I will say that. Sometimes you get gypped out of stuff. And I have been gypped out. I know my dog passed and I didn't pass. There's also been a few times where they shouldn't have passed and they did. I, I did and I gracefully accept, accepted both. So I think good sportsmanship. Uh, that was my only issue with anybody at that place is good sportsmanship. Thank you, judges, and, and uh, not uh, flinging blame everywhere. But I think that it's important for those of us who compete, particularly in this pointing lab thing. Particularly, the others are well-established, been around a long time, you know, a lot of people, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. In the pointing lab world, far less of that. And what I saw was some inexperience. And I also saw some uh, lack of understanding on some of the newer people on what the standards were and what the rules were and what handlers can do and what they cannot do. And so for any of us, particularly in this pointing lab world, because we're not just doing marks and blinds, okay, we've got this, this lot of this upland stuff, finished pointing labs. And there's a lot to this. And because you train in a certain group or with certain people and this is their standard and this is what you do, is not enough to prepare anyone to go run the highest level of these things. There is a lot of responsibility that I would ask all the handlers that I see all the time, um, all the time, to make sure before you pay big entry fees for a, an APLA test or any other test or go to something like that, it is the responsibility of all of the handlers, of all of us that do this, to one, know the rules. And I don't know if I know three people that know the APLA rules stem to stern. I don't know that I do. I, the judges, that the three of us that were there, did. We darn well better. But when you're going to run those things, you have to know the rules and not the interpretation of your training group or your pro or anything. Not that. You have to know what those rules are. And you need to make sure that you and your dog have adapted how you go do all that so that the rules are fed. So you go in there and do that. Again, what I saw were people, one, they were just inexperienced, nervous, and it's scary and hard. And it, I do this stuff, and it's still, I go in there going, oh, geez, I hope I don't screw this up. And so when you're new, there's so many things that make it difficult. But, again, there are certain standards in on everything. And you cannot take the standards of your training group or, or I, th I think the, the controversy was because this dog had passed in certain parts of the country doing certain things and came to the Triple Crown believing that they could do those certain things. Those certain things are not acceptable at the highest level. They wouldn't pass in the tests I run and, um, and that I judge and that I've been to on both coasts. So, you know, I, I think there's a dissimilarity in judging standards everywhere and a rush to get out of the upland field, and I'm not going to get into all that stuff because I really don't care. What <laughs> Everybody needs to learn. There's so much stuff. But all of us as handlers, wherever we go, whatever we do, uh, need to truly understand rules and the interpretations of those rules. 
that thing, the interpretation of steadiness. I, I don't know how you can't have an interpretation of that, but you gotta have steadiness, an interpretation of intimidation. I don't care what anybody's buddy says is intimidation. There are standards for it if you don't know what they are, which I don't think a lot of people do because most people don't intimidate their dogs. You gotta know what those are. And if you don't know what they are, it's not the judge's fault. I think the comment that was made to me is nobody told me. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was your responsibility, not mine. You've gotta know these things. So to prevent the anger and disappointment stuff that happened at that on, in one case, the answer to that for all of us, for everybody, is to make sure that the inter interpretation is correct. And if you live in a certain part of the country and everybody right there feels a certain way, that's all that means. It just means that everybody over there feels a certain way. That, and it's that way in all events. There's, you know, there's master hunters. I've gone places and run AKC master hunters where it was like, this is fun, <laughs> and I like this. And then you go somewhere else, and I wish I had a field champion because they have a kind of a different standard. So what I learned in that world is I need to have the highest standard possible everywhere I go. And if it's easy, yay. And if it's hard, I'm ready. And I'm going to tell APLA people, let's catch up to the rest of the world. It's great whatever you and your training group does. If you're going to go compete on a national level, make sure you are aware of what the highest standards are because that's what at that level you're going to be held to and frankly should be everywhere else in the country. It's not a personal thing. It's not a gosh darn political thing. It is a fact of competition. And the APLA has always been kind of behind the other organizations in raising the standards and holding everybody to them. And I'll argue that with anybody because I have been there from day one. And so if we're going to have people getting upset because they're unaware of what the national standard is, then uh, well, somebody needs to tell everybody, let's all upgrade as high as we can now that we have this in place. And maybe that will help. So everybody competing. I'm glad if you have a training group, make sure that you understand that there are other standards than that. Um, make sure that you understand, you know, what the highest level of whatever it is you're doing is doing. And above all, people, there is nobody in the entire American Pointing Lab Association organization I know of that wants to see the demise of somebody else, at least not in the circles that I know. And the political stuff, just like externally, is insane and ridiculous. And so I hope that people get back to what we're all about, and that is good dogs, good dog work, dogs that you take out in the world, in the hunting, in the competitive thing, and have a blast. And do your best at that, and leave the rest to whomever. But this is about the dogs and about good people, and I saw some of the best dogs and some of the best handling I have ever seen at that and it was a great pleasure and gave me a lot of hope and optimism that where this organization is going and what these dogs are like because it was impressive. So that's today's. Sorry, I get a little upset when people put all this negative stuff and what was, you know, what's a really fun and neat thing to do. So I just had to weigh in. My own podcast, I represent nobody but myself. So that's it for today. Um, hope I'm back next week. Should be, we have one more test. I have one more test I have to do and then we're wrapping up on that. And uh, I'll be back and let everybody know how G is doing. <laughs>